sure. What do is this how you start? Let's yeah. talk about what you don't want to talk about. Welcome to the We Got Your Six podcast, sponsored by the 99 Legacy Fund and the West Point Class of 1999. Here we share our stories and exchange information to let each other know there's always a good enough reason to be here tomorrow. We want to remind you that you're not alone in your struggle. We got your six. Now here is your host and friend of the class of 99, Philip Nathan. So yeah, Melanie Franke, thank you so much for joining us here on the We Got Your Six podcast. Mm. This is a podcast. It's uh, supported by the class of 1999 Legacy Fund. Um, many of the members and um, or many of the guests that we've had and, and most of them so far have been fellow classmates of West Point, class of 99 and, and close by. Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful to be here with you. We're, we're both local. So yeah. This made it, yeah. Yeah. It's, super easy. Yeah. It's nice to, to be in person in vivo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's, um, are you familiar with babe, babe Kwasniak and, and Matt Koontz and some of these other guys that we've had on the show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris, Chris Mayo. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. Um, you were in the class of 99 at West Point. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It was interesting to me when you first kind of reached out to me and said, what's your connection with yeah. 99? And I don't know what your perception is, but it is, um, you know, as a woman, it's, I get that a lot, like, you know, for my kids, like, oh, did your dad go to West Point since we oh. have a West Point license plate? Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's not expected oftentimes. Right. So, oh, you know, it's funny. That wasn't even why I asked that. I yeah. asked that because you were a therapist, and I was like, "Oh, did you oh, know someone from?" Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no. I guess that's a different, different uh, angle too, right? Um, I'm definitely a career changer. Interestingly, I I found out about another West Pointer who works in DC as a therapist, and I was just approached by another therapist who's changing her career and is looking for supervision. So, yeah, I think um, you know, finding meaning and purpose in our experiences. Yeah, more and more of us. That's what I found. Actually, most of the interactions. So I have uh, quite a few interactions with. I've, I didn't go to West Point. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to serve. I spent a lot of time around a lot of military people, and they remind me of that a lot. Um, but many of the special forces, the folks that I know, and definitely the West Pointers, they still find a way to be of service even mm-hmm. after their mm-hmm. quote unquote service. Right, James Skank. He's the president of Pentagon Federal Credit Union. Uh, just had breakfast with him on on Monday, but when you hear what else he's doing with his roundtable dinners and the the things that he's doing with his life outside of just going to West Point, he flew Blackhawks in the in the army, and uh, he was a professor for a while there too. Really, just sharp guy. But I don't know. He'll find a way to be of service. It seems to be ingrained in there, especially with some of the other part people like Brennan and people that have taken me on mountaineering trips. It's just something that comes out of that organization. Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, it's, it's, um, it is ingrained. And I think that's what part of the purpose is the mission is building leaders of character. Mm. And that's not just, it doesn't have to be just in the army, but in our communities and in our lives, just, yeah. you know, why'd you go to West Point? Like, why not, um, why not the air force Academy oh, or yeah. somewhere else? Or why did, why the military in the first place? Yeah it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I, uh, grew up in a lower middle-class family outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and my family did not have money. 
Um, so my mom, I think, told me, I think I was a freshman in high school, you better find a way for, to pay for college because we don't have any money for you. And yet there was an expectancy that we would attend college, which great. Um, but I remember going to my guidance counselor in high school, Mr. Delicio, um, wonderful guy, and said, I think I want to go to West Point. And he said, why? And I said, because it's free. <laughs> and he said, um, well, thankfully he knew his son was actually ROTC. And so he knew about the military. He knew about the army and he knew that it wasn't free, that it was, you know, what I understood at the time. Now I know eight years of your life, but five years of your life at least. And there's, there's a lot there. You can't just go for money reasons alone, or at least, you know, I definitely found that out along the way. But uh, that's what led me there. And then why West Point over some of the other academies? Um, interestingly, I, I, you know, as an adult, I definitely questioned why the heck did I go there? Um, I think, um, you know, I looked at West Point versus some of the other military academies because they had more liberal arts options. I knew that. I don't know why I ended up at an engineering school. That was definitely not my forte. And it was really hard for me. I, I had to do STAP, which West Pointers know is summer school because um, I failed a math course. My classmate, E.D. Alcorn, you know, now Rutz got me through math because, you know, it was really, really challenging for me. So I think, you know, uh, through high school, I was a leader. I was president of student council. I was president of this club and that club. And, and uh, you know, just carrying that forward to, to do the best thing that I could. Um, I think that was not necessarily ingrained, in, ingrained in me, but um, I um, also wanted to get out of Ohio, right? And so I knew that, you know, uh, working the hardest I could um, and, you know, something like the, like West Point could kind of lead on a road out. So, yeah. yeah. What was an unexpected um, outcome of West Point? Unexpected, great thing that Maybe you didn't even think it was going to happen. And, and then looking back, even though you said at times you can question, why did I go? But yeah. are there times where you look back and you're like, thankfully I didn't go to like Ohio State or something. Yeah. I got something that wouldn't have been available to me. Yes. Um, well, actually, I, I, I look back and wonder if I would have made it through college otherwise as an adult i've been diagnosed with adhd and so i think my attention spans all over the place and so the um you know just having the routine the structure the expectations the support system there um, i remember some of my professors really helping me and, and just the team and the camaraderie there like i mentioned uh, my friend Edie getting me through math right and and, um, you know, even in summer school, feeling like I was a part of that community and really feeling supported in that way. Um, yeah. What did you, is you call yourself a career changer? Yeah. What were some of those careers before? And ah, my path to get here. Yeah. Uh, so, well, let's see. So uh, I was, I was in the army for about eight years and I really loved it. It was really difficult to decide to get out or not. I got out when I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, and, uh, for me at the time, that was the right decision. Um, I was, I finished my master's in HR with Webster university, which was associated with the army at the time. My professor there, um, offered me a job. Um, I knew I wanted to stay home. I wanted to be a stay at home mom. Um, and so I, I let him know that. And he said, you know, work for the humane society, work for me. Um, and you can work part-time from home after your baby's born. And so it was just like this guardian angel almost, you know, it's like 
it's a wonderful opportunity to do that. So I worked for the Humane Society for a few years in the uh, education arm of um, that and um, reaching out to like veterinarians, learning about compassion fatigue, um, you know, setting up mm. trainings. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. And then um, I ended up homeschooling my yeah. kids uh, for a couple of years. It was a really great experience. Um, once my daughter got in first grade, she uh, was got into a Spanish immersion program. And so that was great, a different school system than, you know, it was better than where we were living. So it was, it was good to do that. Um, you're, what, you're looking. Yeah, yeah. Spanish immersion. What does that mean? Oh, so it's a, it's it, here in Fairfax County. It's a, an option that kids go half a day in that language. Ideally, that's the they're immersed in the language for half a day. And then so they take math and science classes in Spanish. So yeah. this is just a great opportunity, something I couldn't provide to her. I was a language major at West Point, but I, um, you know, I wasn't fluent in Spanish at the time. And so so we pursued that. Um, and then so, you know ended homeschooling. I was a fitness instructor for a long time and stay at home mom. Yep. Where? That's uh well, we're all over. I mean, I've taught at a ton of different gyms and yoga studios. And um, I started with uh, spinning classes. I did that for many, many years. And then um, um, just, you know, I'd always wanted to become a yoga instructor. I was, you know, called to do that. And then, um, so I went back for that training when my son was about two and able to kind of leave him for some of the trainings. And, um, so I've been doing that. So, um, yeah. And then, um, trying to figure out, I I shadowed a bunch of friends to figure out what do I want to do when I grow up? Um, so I shadowed, you know, occupational therapists and I thought when I was in the army, I wanted to become, uh, um, uh, get my master's in policy management. And then I, shadowed friends who did that and thought, oh my gosh, this is my numbing, numbing for me and how my brain and personality works. And so I was grateful that I didn't end up in that because that's kind of part of why I left the army. Um, and then, um, so yeah, so I, through yoga, I, um, ended up taking some trauma sensitive yoga training and did kind of a wounded warrior training, um, learned about uh, anxiety, depression, TBI, PTSD. And that's really where it kind of hit me to say, like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to help people on a more direct level. Um, I want to make a difference in people's lives. And um, it felt really meaningful. And so I decided to become a social worker. I went back to school for my MSW. And here I am. Yeah. So here you are. You're a licensed clinical social worker. Let's talk about your practice. Um, obviously, this is the We Got Your Six podcast. We talk a lot about uh, mental health yeah. and some of the things that we as people can experience, but very specifically, uh, former military folks, class of 99, you know, lost some, some, some folks along the way. I have my own experience with attempted suicide and, and alcoholism and just, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I, I think that the psychology that goes into that, or just like the mindset that goes into that. And this uh, idea of, you know, high performer, I was a pretty high performer when I was younger or I wanted, like I always fancied myself to be that. So I could, I was always fighting something, overcoming, trying to be the best at what I was doing. And so it feels like you have two wolves inside of you sometimes where you Mm -hmm. have one that wants to fight and one that's just like, you know, I'm better off not being here. So I, you know, I I talk pretty openly about that. I mean, I just, I only mentioned that to kind of, set the stage for the conversation. I mean, you're doing trauma work. You yeah. were, did you deploy or like what led you? Why was it a calling? For you? Mm. Did you experience it on your own? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, 
most of humanity experiences trauma. Um, as a woman in the military, there's definitely trauma experience. Um, I think, you know, moving forward, working with trauma, it's meaning making out of that. Um, you know, yeah, listening to some of the podcasts you did with my other classmates, it's, you know, I can identify with that myself. Um, and the army culture was, I can't say now I've heard it's changed a lot for the better, um, but was really that, you know, very cutthroat and um, really, you know, a lot of alcohol. Um, they like to say that there was a focus on mental health, but I think that um, it a lot was brushed under the rug. Yeah. Yeah. Did you deploy? Oh, you asked that question. No, I, um, I, so I deployed quote unquote air quotes. I guess I can, I'm being taped here. Um, I deployed to Hungary. Um, so Tazar Hungary, it was in support of S4. So, um, the other platoon leader in, um, my company went to Bosnia. I went to Hungary. I was a, a postal platoon leader and my soldiers were in Hungary in, um, in, in Sarajevo and in in split Croatia, um, where else I'm trying to think, and throughout Hungary. So my counterpart was in Bosnia and my company command was there. Um, I was off on my own. So it was a great opportunity kind of from a young professional standpoint to kind of you know, stand out on my own and, and kind of run the show. Um, but yeah, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't Iraq or Afghanistan mm-hmm. by any means. It wasn't even Bosnia. I was able to, it was just a different, different ball of wax where um, we were able to go off post. We were able to wear civilian clothes. We were able to, there was a lot of alcohol, whereas in the other places, maybe it wasn't, wasn't allowed. I'm sure it was still there, but it wasn't, wasn't yeah. necessarily allowed. So let's talk about your yoga practice and what it centered around. Okay. So I do, I have seen people from the military. Um, it's not focused on that. Um, my practice and what I um, tend to specialize in, I'm a, I'm a, actually a play therapist. So I work with kids. Yeah. You can see lots of, toys, of toys, games, puppets, sand tray. I use a lot of these things with adults too. A lot of art, uh, expressive modalities. So um, that's, that's kind of one arm um, of it. And then the rest is mainly adults with trauma. Um, and it's, again, it's not just military. Um, we do live in an area where there's a lot of military. Um, but I see a lot of military kids and dependents, um, not as many military, um, individuals. Um, but I see kind of across the lifespan, which is great because it keeps it varied. Yeah. 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 I shared a little bit about my experience. Uh, anyone who's listened to some of the past episodes has already gotten mm-hmm. a lot of it. I set that stage with the two wolves and the, mm-hmm. I think it's important to share what some of the symptoms of trauma, PTSD, obviously suicidal ideation is only, you know, that you think about killing yourself. Yeah. Only, you know, you have those ideas that either I'm not enough or it's a very weird way to almost not be selfish. Let's take the word selfishness out of it, right? For a second. It could seem like the most logical thing that this is what's best for everyone. Right. Um, especially when I can't stop myself from doing something or thinking something or behaving in a way that I don't want to behaving. It feels like it's against my will. Yeah. It's then out of my control. 
Then there's the me in here that's also experiencing and witnessing all of this, not knowing how to stop myself from doing it. And the best thing for me to do is to just not be here. That's actually, I think, in my experience, been, you can identify, you know that. Only you know that. To thine own self be true. But before you get there, what are some of the other things that someone ought to recognize about themselves to say, hey, like, you know, that thing that I've been pushing away or that I think isn't a big deal might actually be right. Or what, what are mm-hmm. some of the beginning? Cause it's hard to ask for help. I don't want to ask for help. Yeah. Like and who I, wants to, I mean, I'll just figure it out on my own. That means I'm good enough. Right. That's the mindset that I, you know. Yeah. So someone listening. Yeah. And I think part of um, that, you know, there's been a big push in our class and in the military too. We think of like the 22 a day, right. We are losing 22 veterans a day to suicide and, you know, reaching out um, and noticing this. I think there's, there are a lot of people who might not be as connected. Right. But signs and symptoms in ourselves, um, just our mood, right. Having a a check-in with ourselves, knowing ourselves. Um, I think there, like you talked about before, I think we started the podcast, but like this, you know, um, competition society, like, you know, trying to really strive for, you know, doing the best and just working ourselves to the grind, right? How are we taking care of ourselves? If we were a friend to ourselves, right? What would we, how would we treat ourselves? Um, But if we start to notice anxiety or depression, you know, sometimes that can be somatic symptoms. I think for, for me, just being really connected to our bodies and being aware, a lot of people think we walk around with our head, disconnected from our bodies because we as a society aren't necessarily connected to what emotions feel like in the body when actually feelings are a somatic experience. And they are, you know, we are, when we can become embodied, we, we can notice more. Um, But I think when people start to choose to not do things they would normally be interested in, um, maybe start to isolate more. I think drinking is a huge part of it. And again, kind of coming back to what we came from in that army culture um, as, you know, it's just accepted and, and not really knowing, you know, how that affects our mood on a grander scale. Whereas now it's like, we recognize that, you know, alcohol has a, a longer term effect. It actually increases anxiety and increases some of those depressive symptoms on a larger or longer basis. So, um, I think when we start to notice those thoughts within ourselves, it's, it's, you know, when we can get those out in any way, it's helpful, whether that's through therapy, through writing it down, through connecting to somebody else, which is, takes a really vulnerable act. It's really courageous to do that. Um, but yeah. Does that answer your question? I feel yeah. like I'm, No, it does. I mean, it was, like self-awareness is literally just that, right? So being aware of yourself yeah. and it takes, at least for me, it took a lot of, it took a lot of pausing and really kind of like, I had to do inventories. Mm-hmm. Like I had to do inventories for a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like where was I resentful? Where mm-hmm. was I angry today? Where mm-hmm. was I What's my self-talk? What are the I am statements I use with myself? Because I was I I really thought that if I could, I I thought I could self-deprecate myself into better behavior. So if I was just mean enough to myself, then I would eventually change my behavior, mm-hmm. and something would be different in my life. Um, and I think when you recognize yourself doing that, that's actually you you're trying to solve a problem, mm-hmm. um, which means that you have a problem, right? If you like, especially with the drinking, if you are trying to control your drinking, it's by definition out of control, right? 
Um, if you're trying to manage your life and manage things, and I'm just trying to manage things very well, it by definition is unmanageable. Right. Um, and, I, and I needed the clear definition of what, you know, my alcoholism is, right? Mm-hmm. I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, but Congratulations. It, yeah, thank you. November. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was a me- night and day. Yeah. And, and I, I live a life that I didn't even know I wanted. Yeah. I didn't even know it was available to me. Yeah. Um, I thought I was just going to get sober and just stop drinking and my life would still be shit and I still hate myself. That's mm-hmm. what I thought would happen. Mm-hmm. The complete opposite mm-hmm. has happened. Um, mm-hmm. I get way more than I ever thought was available to me. And that's the best way I could put it. But I didn't realize that like, and I, it, drinking wasn't my problem. Mm-hmm. I was my problem. Mm-hmm. I was really good at drinking. I was so good at it that it ruined my life. You know, but, and when I don't have, when I wasn't drinking, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. Yeah. And I never would have used any of those vocabulary words, even though I knew the definition of all three. Right. Someone's, are you feeling discontent right now? No, shit's fucked up and I hate my life. But that's what discontent means. Right. But I would never use those phrases. Right. Um, and I get, you know, and some, I needed people to just kind of like, let me punch myself out and then say, you know, you can take as many tests on the internet as you want that say if you drink X amount of drinks per week, then you right. might be, and you just lie to the test. Yeah. But if you're shaking and sweating uncontrollably or you're just sweaty throughout the day or you're restless, irritable and discontent or you're just contemplating which liquor store you're going to stop off at or which one did you go to yesterday so the guy there doesn't sell you the same thing. It's like that's what mental obsession is. Right. right? So you're. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think that that's a good point. Like as, as, as I look through the diagnostic criteria, which sometimes I do with clients to say, like, is this actually alcohol use disorder? And interestingly, it's if it's taking up more brain space, right? If we're just thinking about drinking, like, oh, I'm going to drink tonight, um, but maybe it's, um, maybe I should just have one because then I have to drive. Like, if it just takes up more mind space, it's mm-hmm. actually, you know, and some of us might come from, I know I do come from a family with addiction issues. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, definitely something to to be aware of in ourselves. Interestingly, just today I had a client on, on the couch who, you know, I, just checking it. How's your mood been this week? Well, great. And noticing like these shifts in themselves. And, and then I don't, what, what do you attribute those changes to? I don't know. Well, I've been doing this. I've been exercising a couple times a week and I've been doing that. And then this light bulb goes off. Oh, I've given up alcohol. I didn't make that connection. Right. But there's yeah. a huge connection when we can, when we, when we can take that out of our lives and just yeah. notice how we feel versus the, the effect of the alcohol. We don't often notice. Yeah. I mean, and I think more so like, you know, for some of the other stuff with with depressive behaviors or just obsessions over certain things, getting fixated on certain things and all or nothing black or white mentality that like, all right, well, what I really need to do, you know what my problem is? I'm not working out enough. So I'm just going to go. And then, you know, you go out on like a five mile run, you do a 72 hour fast, like these sort of things. It's like, extreme behavior that feels like toughing it out. It feels like beating. Yeah. Like I'm out running. I, I, I was out running myself for a very long time. I thought that's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was a ton there, but let, so, so that's, you know, I had to hit bottom before I changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know I was at bottom until after I was at bottom. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I dragged across bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't ha- you can get off the elevator on any level you want. Um, but other people in in my life, I'm sure, recognized things about me. Yeah. And they may not have known how to approach it or sure. to do about it or yeah. even what they were looking at. Yeah. yeah. So 
I'm sure you have the experience to share of what, what, how to notice what we're looking at. Maybe yeah. it's your wife or your husband. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm thinking back to my own experience and, um, you know, when you can self-reflect, it's, it's very different, but distinct behavior changes, right? If somebody's acting out of character, um, that's huge, right? I think, you know, and having the ability to, to say like, are you okay? Um, I think that's a big thing. Um, so you asked earlier too, and my brain keeps going back to the effects of trauma. Like what to, what, how does it affect us? And what do we um, look like when that happens? Yeah. I think that there's, there's a lot of things, right? There's, it, as you mentioned, there's like the black and white thinking, the automatic negative thoughts, right? All of these things that we have thinking and kind of reaction, um, kind of going to the, all of those negatives about ourself, um, maybe for you is that self deprecation, right? Um, we might start to notice things in our body. We can hold, um, you know, like clenching our jaw, mm-hmm. um, might have tension in neck and shoulders. Like you just shrugged yeah, up, yeah. right? It's, um, uh, and then like for, you know, I could go through a list of things. I work with more women who've experienced sexual trauma. And so there's a lot of pelvic floor issues. There's, you know, um, there are, you know, then there's autoimmune disease. There's, I mean, just all of these things when untreated, it's, you know, we let this get bigger and bigger and we unbeknownst to ourselves, because again, we're just like, we're just fighting the fight. We're just living our daily life. And yet if we have untreated trauma, um, these, this is kind of the road that we can, we can mm-hmm. expect, right. When there's untreated trauma. Um, let's see what else. So body thinking, um, Sometimes we have kind of um, risky behaviors. Um, so um, just knowing what that is, maybe sometimes that's drinking. Maybe that's, you know, diff- you know something different. Um, sometimes yeah. it's it's more like, you know, self-harming in a way. Yeah. The automatic negative thoughts, the ants in our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for me, like, I don't know, like negative, I, I find that it's negative thoughts about everything. Yeah. If I'm constantly future tripping mm-hmm. and um, trying to find the worst case scenario that things something could possibly be so that I can protect myself from it or prepare for it, thinking that I'm eight to 12 steps ahead of the game, mm-hmm. that I, I found was a way for me to try to keep myself safe, right? keep that part of me that is concerned ultimately about me, right. but keep me safe. Um, but at the time, I thought I was just being smart about it. Yeah. Right? I'm just read like you I mean. Why would anything good happen? Of course, I got to be ready for the bad things that happen. Like this is what this is what being smart is. This is what being healthy is. Like you know, I'm just doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. Like these are some of the phrases I would say. Mm-hmm. If you had to live your life being me, you would understand. This is for the best of everybody. Mm-hmm. Sort of like that rhetoric. I only mention that because I maybe it's helpful for someone to hear. Yeah, I think part of what we try to do with this with the show. Um, I found that you know the more that we articulate the vocabulary that we use, the more we're able to either help someone help someone else or help someone to ask for help. Just like, you know what? I sound like this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Or that's the way I used to drink or that's yeah. what I used to do. That's how I used to behave. Um, I, you know, you mentioned a lot about, so the body keeps the score, mm-hmm. right? I, I can't tell you, I don't even know how to describe, like, I mean, I don't remember ever getting sick. I didn't allow myself to be sick because I didn't, you know, if I get, did get sick, no one's going to care about you being sick. So just like, you know, shut up, like, you know, or deal with it or just like keep your sniffles to yourself. That I was very all through my twenties, all through, that was definitely during my drinking years, but 
you know, I was very, I was so worried about what other people thought about me. I would pretend to be whatever version of me I needed to be just to make sure that you liked me. But the trick was that I had to think up what I thought you thought and then adjust my behavior based on what I thought you thought right. and then hope you were happy with what I thought you thought. And if mm -hmm. you weren't now, I'm resentful at you because look what I did for you. Right. Um, I never saw that as like unmanageable behavior. But as I've gotten better, my sense of physical wellness, like and being able to feel and understand my body, but I haven't been sick in a decade. Like I haven't had aches and pains. Like I, I don't know, like how much of with your yoga experience, I'd love to hear like mm -hmm. how much of there is the book, the body keeps the score. It's mm -hmm. thick, it's dense, it's hard to read. It's all these things. You're easy to talk to. Tell me like, what is it? How is it connected? And like, what is this that's going on? And what can we recognize if it's happening? Like if you got a pain in your elbow for 10 years, it's probably got something else going on. Well, right. And I, you know, even as a yoga instructor, I have students who come up to me and they're like, I have this thing. And it's like, I'm not a substitute for a medical doctor. Right. So, so let's see your doctor first, but yes, there are things that we notice and you've read the book, the body keeps the score. So we, we hold in our body. Right. Um, so kind of specifically, you know, oftentimes with trauma that's in our hips and in the psoas. And, and so um, what is like for me, well, finding yoga um, gave this opportunity to come home to myself and it gave the space to invite in presence where I think my experience was was aligned with yours, where, you know, it's this go, 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 do, 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 prove to others, um, not feeling very secure in myself, um, not feeling very secure in relationships, um, you know, having experienced trauma. And so all of that, it's, you know, feels really big. And then, gosh, we can come back to the breath and I can actually be with the thoughts in my head. Oh, what's that like? And oh, maybe I can let those thoughts go and just be with the breath. Oh, that feels more comfortable, right? So maybe that was a starting point for me. Um, yeah, for, I think the biggest thing um, is knowing our bodies and kind of just being with that and being curious about it. So I, I tend to invite that into um, any practice that mm -hmm. I'm guiding along the way. So it's just, just being curious about your body and, and getting in and, and moving and being present with. Yeah. Yeah. Being present. Um, like it, I was, it was really easy to, for me to say that. I think a lot of people, we always say that, but you know, what, what that actually feels like I, I, maybe it's disassociation or rumoration like, but like I was really good at just like daydreaming about something else. Mm, yeah. Whenever uncomfortable feelings popped up, just imagine myself somewhere else doing something else and think I was doing the right thing. Right. I'm just like turning my attention to something positive. Mm -hmm. but really I'm running away from that feeling. Mm. And I think being present, you know, sometimes it can look like breathing exercises but sometimes it can just be naming exactly what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking about mm -hmm, yeah. and asking like, where did that come from? Right. There's a rain practice, recognize, mm -hmm. allow, investigate, and then not identify. Mm -hmm. But just doing that, right. Or even like a five, four, three, two, one to just get into the pre present. You know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Like five things I can see, four things I can hear, mm -hmm. um, three things I can touch, two things I can smell and one thing I can taste, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that takes like all of I don't know, a minute maybe to look around the room. But then when I stop for a second, I realize, oh, I'm sitting in this room 
Like I like you're you know, reorienting yourself. I'm yeah. right there in the present. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I just found that that was like, you know, hearing because everyone was, oh, just be present. But no one was telling me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's interesting that you say, you know, I was doing the wrong thing by daydreaming. And um, as someone who, you know, specializes in working with trauma and with that comes dissociation, um, maybe that's what you needed at the time. Maybe that dissociation and, and daydreaming is along the spectrum of dissociation over here. It's that's what we describe. It's, it's daydreaming. It's kind of driving a few blocks and realizing how did I get here? Uh, I forgot the last few blocks to over here. We have dissociative identity disorder, right? And so anywhere in between and um, it's, you know, Sometimes it's helpful. It's a distraction. Okay. And then there's the being present. So sometimes it's what we need in the moment to get us through. And then sometimes, you know, we can build this skill of being present so we can notice, oh, I just went away for a minute here. Um, And just noticing that within ourselves. How would someone know the difference between that, where it's something that they need to be aware of and maybe at some point ask questions? Yeah. Versus visualization, like a visualization meditation or something healthy to do. Like what? I think it's the intentionality, right? If there's intention in, um, I am going to do a guided meditation. I'm going to kind of um, maybe actively, intentionally put what's disturbing to me in a container and kind of or a vault and kind of uh, in my mind's eye, kind of send that away or put that away for now uh, until I can address it. Um, if there's the intention of, of doing that, that's, I think the difference, right? Dis- disassociation happens, um, to really intelligent people who are, you know, it is a helpful skill to kind of partition off the brain, if you will, to say like, that's too much, right? Trauma is kind of exceeding our capacities to handle a situation or an action or an event, right? In the moment. And so, we partition off sometimes. And so I imagine that that's, you know, happens to a lot of people, especially those who have been to Iraq and Afghanistan and who've, you know, like, I'm just going to put that away. Um, Maybe that can invite a greater presence with, you know, we can, we can heal from, from that trauma. So we were talking before we started about your experience with the yoga bill. And you've mentioned a little bit about how you incorporate yoga into your practice. So I'd love to, yeah, You know, while we're talking about trauma, we talked about the psoas, we talked about the hips, um, but I want to hear your experience with Yogaville, and then I'd like to to do a couple moves with you. Anyone who's watching will be able to practice uh, or maybe try them on their own. But there was something you talked about. So my experience has been developing a relationship with a power greater than myself, Mm. right? A Mm -hmm. higher power. Mm -hmm. I choose to call it God because it's a one-syllable, three-letter word. Mm -hmm. Very easy to use. Mm -hmm. I like it. It's fun. And, um, you know... (laughs) But you don't have to, right? right? If you have a challenged relationship with that word or uh, with a religion of some sort, you know, that's okay. Because you don't need either one of those to have a relationship with the power outside of yourself. Right. And uh, I found a lot of freedom, a lot of help, and a lot of growth by developing that relationship. Yeah. And allowing myself the opportunity to do that. And it was an action-based allowance. I had to develop a relationship with that higher power the same way I would develop a relationship with you if we, what we have met. But, um, and I didn't know that. And I was very separated from that higher power for a long time. Coincidentally, the time I was like, you know, destroying my life and drag dragging across bottom, 
mm-hmm. um, and never saw that there those two things were 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 correlated in any kind of way until afterwards. Thankfully, I have. Mm-hmm. But I'd love for you to share your experience with Yogaville and what that conversation. You were talking specifically about your daughter, but I'm sure something had to have yeah. an impact on you too. Oh, sure. I mean, Yogaville was great. I think the few times that I went, I actually went on a family retreat and it was, I brought my kids with me. Um, and the story I shared with you earlier was um, just about that belief in a higher power. And then my daughter, um, I think she was seven or eight, but very strongly feeling that she was an atheist at the time. And then uh, hearing the words of the, of Yogaville's founder, Yogi Sachinananda, um, kind of describing that if you have friends, if you have people you love, that that love is a connective power and that that um, that is something greater than ourselves. And so therefore, if you ascribe to and believe in love, then you believe in a higher power. So um, I think she's come around to, you know, understanding that now. Um, and for me, it was um, just, you know, wonderful, wonderful to have her thoughts challenged in that way. Um, because I think that that when we can believe in something greater than ourselves, we can, again, find more meaning, find more depth. And, you know, it's like you said, it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, and I would tell you all day back then, I would say, oh, like I would tell you that I don't believe mm. in God. Like, and, and I think I would have called myself atheist, but only because I didn't know what agnostic meant at the time. Right. Sure. That wouldn't have yeah. been the first word I used. Yeah. Right. But in the same sentence, I tell you that I'm an atheist. I'd knock on wood. Mm. I believe in something. What am I knocking wood for? Right. Right. But I never drew, I never drew a connection there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, and, and it, I had to start that by just being willing to believe. Yeah. Not even that I believe, or I just believe that you believe. All right. You know, that was enough. Um, good orderly direction, whatever you want to call it. Right. G-O-D. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so how long were you at Yogaville? Was it like a one-day seminar? Oh, I mean, I went over several years, several different times. Um, you know, it was wonderful. It was, um, that was just a fun thing I did with my kids, and I just love Yogaville and connecting with other families and um, some, some of my friends who were teachers who led those, some of those retreats. So, yeah, yeah, just good experiences. I did the five-day silent retreat. Nice. The podcast host stayed silent for five days. <laughs> um, in 2019, in between Christmas and New Year's, like, mm. um, definitely an experience. Yeah. And I found that practicing yoga, well, it's just what I thought yoga was and what it actually has ended up becoming to me, yeah. uh, is very different. Like a lot of things, my belief in a higher power, what I thought about drinking and what I thought about mental health and therapy. I was so, oh my God. It'd be offensive if I shared with you what I used to say and think about therapists and people that went to therapy and what they need. I can't believe it. Meanwhile, I wanted what they had. Um, or I was, I think there was a part of me that was also jealous that they were getting help or that they were getting something or that what if they got better? Right. And I think it was more that I didn't believe it was available to me. I was the only one telling myself, no, I, I wanted what you had to offer. I just didn't want you to be the one to give it to me. I sure. wanted to come up with it all on my own. I yeah. wanted to think up. Whatever it is you're about to tell me, I want to be the one to come up with the idea. Right. Well, it's in, in as a good therapist will allow people to come up with their own yeah. ideas, frankly. But um, I think it's it's 
self-exploration, maybe just guided, but it is a vulnerable step. Mm. And there have been actually military members who um, their moms have come to me or friends or, you know, they've come to me and I've invited them into my office just to be like, just come in, let's just have coffee. Sometimes I can't be their therapist, but just to get a comfort level with like, this is what it's like to come into a therapy office. This is what it's like to just talk to somebody. Oh, it's actually not that scary, mm. right? Um, because, you know, sometimes we do have these the stigma around, you know, what it's like to go to therapy or to get help, right? Or even to disclose, oh, I'm yeah. having suicidal thoughts. I'm having, you know, negative thoughts about myself. That, that can be hard. Especially if you have like a security clearance or you're still active duty. I mean, there's all kinds of other layers there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there are a lot of people who um, have, you know, when they have a clearance, they're like, I'm not sure I can do therapy because I have a clearance and, you know, it just has, has nothing to do with it. Right. They can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, um, I want to do some yoga with you. I want to see some of these, uh, these moves. Now we, okay. we talked before. Yeah. Uh, T.R.E. Yeah. Can you yeah. help us understand what that is, what it has to do with yoga? You spoke earlier about the psoas muscle. Mm -hmm. Where is that? What is that? How is it connected to our emotions, to our brain? Like, help us understand what we're about to do. Yeah. Well, not just TREs, um, but I could talk. I could talk for days about yoga and mental health and the connection. Um, but for TREs specifically, and there's other things that I might like to show you too, but TREs are trauma or tension releasing exercises specifically um, because trauma is stored in the psoas muscle line. The psoas muscle line is the, the biggest muscle group or muscle line in the body. So it kind of goes down um, through the inner thigh, up in front of the hip flexor. And that's where we kind of tend to see some of the, the issues with, you know, um, some of the, the pelvis and then goes all the way up through the elbow. So we can, um, yeah, yeah, it's the entire muscle line. So what we hold our tension and trauma there. And so some of these um, trauma releasing exercises actually invoke shaking in the body. So um, if we think about a zebra um, doesn't go around feeling anxious because he shakes it off. Like if he's, a, you know, has an encounter with a lion or a tiger, right? Like just put it out there say he's, he's going to go to the river if he escapes the encounter and he's just going to shake. You're going to see that. Mm. Um, actually, there's a little, there's a video. It's, it's really disturbing to me, but there's a little girl after her first encounter um, killing an animal hunting and she just shakes because she's so disturbed and she says, daddy, is this normal? And he did just the right thing. He just lets her shake, right? Um, Taylor Swift, shake it off, right? It's like literally sometimes after a hard session, I'm just like, whew, I just let myself shake it out, shake it out, shake it out, right? Yeah. So is that you're shaking out the cortisol or you're shaking out the, like the anxiety? Like what, what are you shaking out? Yeah, all of the above, right? You're, you're, instead of holding it in, and then sometimes, um, sorry, sometimes it can be stored as, as maladaptive self-beliefs. Self sometimes it's stored as that tension in the body. We can, yes, release it. I'm sure there's cortisol that we're releasing, mm -hmm. right, through the shaking, but we're, we're giving it a space to just release. If there's actually, um, <laughs> sidetrack, but there was, Next door, we have a nonprofit. They work with young adults. And I walked into a gun the other day. And the woman was just shaking, shaking, shaking. She was holding the gun. She had taken it from a youth um, who, who came in with the gun and actually a lot of addiction issues. So 
she was just shaking. And I just, you know, stayed with her and said, just let your body shake. I know it's, it's in our culture. We want to be strong. We want to be like, I've got it together. I'm composed. But if we're ever in a car accident, if we're ever in something disturbing and we notice that shaking, we want that shaking. We want to shake it out. We want to let it go. We want to just let the body shake. It's our natural way of being to allow the body to shake. So TREs, um, and there have been a lot of studies. They brought this into some of the VA hospitals um, that, you know, these are can be really helpful um, to allow that, invoke that shaking and to allow that release. And then some people find that they're helpful on a daily basis. So, yeah, I do some of these and some some other kind of yoga techniques with some of my clients and some of the patients who come in and um, can find it really helpful. So, oh, so it's not just adrenaline or like, like maybe it is, but it's not, you shouldn't fight it allow it to happen. Right. And fighting it then just kind of locks it in, locks it in, locks it in. Yeah. 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 And again, back to the body keeps the score. It's like, you know, we, mm. our body, if we're going to hold that, we're holding it. And then where is it going? Right. What is it turning into? Some of the things we talked about earlier. Second law of thermodynamics. Energy is not created or destroyed. It's just transferring states going somewhere. Right. And maybe it is. Mm-hmm. But if you've got misalignments, that's actually the body compensating. Maybe not physically, but mm-hmm. like mentally for some sort of emotional thing. Yeah. What, um, I mean, where else would that show? We're talking about the, the psoas. So if, if you're walking around, like if someone maybe doesn't think that they have any issues or that they're fine and that they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with the best they can. But they also notice something about their hips. What is that something that they can notice? Well, I think that's going to cause pain, right? And Mm. anytime there's pain, there's something that the body is kind of screaming that it needs attention. So I might not know what that person's exact issue is. So I can't, I don't want to just give this blanket statement like, oh, well, it's this because it might be an imbalance, right? It might be a shorter leg than another or, you know, like just length discrepancy or there might be an injury or, you know, like there may be other things that it can be attributed to. But when the body is kind of screaming out, yeah, you know, it's, it's important to listen to it where sometimes we want to just, you know, wish it away or, you know, get surgery or whatever that is. I think that listening to the body can give us a lot more information. Yeah. Um, so I think that can be helpful. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, it's, there's a connection. And yeah. again, kind of going back to that statement, like some people, you know, think that we can just walk around with, I think, and my head thinks, right. And, and, you know, a lot of cultures actually the, the heart thinks, right. And so, you know, feeling with the heart versus just the, you know, the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be a different way of looking at things too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah even when you say, I think who's the I, right. Right. And that's a good point. I wanted to go back to with the negative thoughts that the thoughts are not us. The yeah. thoughts don't is, you know, that is a part of us um, that, you know, that the negative thoughts come from another lens or another part of us, that there's a part of us that's observing that. Yeah. And that's we can that may be you know, our grounded, more adult self. Yeah. Don't believe everything you think. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my body. I mean, yeah. you know. I was in the silent retreat. I just because my mouth stopped didn't mean the conversation stopped. Mm-hmm. Then eventually I was like, well, if I'm the one in here talking, who's the one in here listening? Cause we're both in here, mm-hmm. you know? And then that was really where I started to understand like the self. Right. When people say, you know, myself or the self. Capital adult, capital S self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm the one in here witnessing this guy doing his best. 
It ain't working. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. Well, why don't we, if you're just listening to the podcast, uh, you won't be able to see these moves, but there are some great links, I think, for some YouTube videos that we can link below sure. uh, the episode. And, uh, and if you are watching, uh, we'll give you a little bit of demonstration of some of the, the moves that we can use for our psoas. Sure. Or at sure. least. Yeah. Can... And the other thing is, you know, uh, I think coming with caution, right, for people who have experienced trauma, they might want to do this under the guidance of a professional um, there are, you can even, I think, do TREs online. Uh, there are professionals who can guide you through it just to make sure that, you know, because if we've experienced trauma, especially if we're experiencing dissociation, um, we don't want to go somewhere where we can't kind of come back, right? We don't want to go somewhere and have open up a lot of things. And we can do that physically too. So it's important to know that. All right. So these are called TREs. Yes. And um, what does that stand for again? Trauma-releasing exercises. Okay. Yeah. So, and they're yoga poses. So, yeah, they're kind of a, a, a series of movements, if you will, to kind of invoke shaking and the psoas and then kind of releasing. Yeah. Um, interestingly, if I can share a story, anecdote, when I was in my training um, for these, I was with uh, a, another yoga instructor who uh, was attacked by a polar bear, and um, it brought up some nausea and some kind of, it brought up a lot for her, right? And so here's where we want to be, you know, make sure that we're working with a professional, um, but she couldn't come back to the training the next day. She just needed a break, needed some, some time to decompress. So they can be really powerful, is my point, right? Just like any modality that we're, where we're processing trauma. She survived a polar bear attack? She survived a polar bear attack. Where'd she even see a polar bear? In Alaska? Yeah, it was in Alaska. Yeah. All right, well, I'll get out of your way. Why don't you tell us what the move is and then do it? Okay, well, first of all, we want to have the psoas kind of fatigued. I'm not going to spend the time to do that here, but we can do that with wall sits. We can do chair pose. We can do maybe some yoga, a few warrior poses. And before we head into the TREs and... You look like you're going to ask me a question. Yeah, well, so would that, would working out or going for a yeah. run still do the same thing? Does yeah. it have to be yoga? No, it does not have to be yoga. So we just want to fatigue um, and like do some work here. So yeah, after a run um, would be perfect opportunity to do some of these exercises. Does it have to be, like would walking count or does it have to exert you? You have to be tired. There needs to be some level of fatigue to, especially, I, I like to say, like, within the legs. Okay. So, again, like, yeah, walking, but then coming and doing a wall sit for a few minutes, maybe three minutes, or, and then doing some other exercises. Yeah, I'm not sure. Depends on everybody's fitness level, right? If they haven't been walking, walking might be enough. Everybody is different. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so then um, the first one I'm going to show is um, coming down, if you're familiar with um, Sphinx Pose. Yeah. So coming into Sphinx, and then really all it is is lifting the hips off of the mat. And you, I don't know if you can see from there, but I'm already shaking. Um, and it's not necessarily that it's hard to hold this pose, but it's um, it's the body shaking. So that's all it is. And how long do you want to hold it for, or is there... Does it just as long as you can and go till you can't go anymore or do sets no, of 10 seconds? it's definitely not um, prescribed in that way. Like we can we can just, maybe the first time we do it, we're just like, oh, let me just, oh, there it is. I'm just going to notice. 
And, you know, we can hold it as long as it's serving us, is the way I like to say. And then we can just bring the hips down. Maybe we take a break. Maybe we breathe and pause. And, you know, maybe we come back to it. Maybe not. Maybe just a little bit, a little dab do ya. <laughs> just finding a little bit is all we need. Um, but it's, it's that simple, but it's invoking the hips. Um, so the next one is on our backs. So in yoga, we start out with the pose Supta Baddha Konasana, which is just the knees wide. We can stay here for a few minutes, just noticing. And then starting to find a bridge pose and actually like to time it for two minutes. I'm not gonna do that in the interest of time, but staying here for about two minutes. And I mean, already having done yoga this morning, my, my glutes are already tired just holding it. This can be challenging for anyone. And I can already feel knowing TREs um, in my body, I'm already shaking a little bit. But after that, we can lower it down through the spine and then bring the knees in just a few inches. And as you can see, my legs are floating. I'm not doing that. That's just the natural release. And then I can stay here for as long as I'd like, as long as I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Some people might feel like really disconcerted by the fact that the body's doing this, um, but it's serving us in kind of just letting go of that and then bringing the knees in two inches and it might get even bigger. So just kind of playing with bringing the knees in an inch or two at a time and then just allowing. I'll, I'll send the links to the v, some of the VA uh, work with TREs and it's it looks like a lot, like people are flailing all over, but really it's the body releasing. So just trusting the body to say, oh, <laughs> I can let go of control here to just allow that shaking. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's not weakness. That's not like no. you just need to strengthen that muscle. That's actually a physical reaction the body's having to a an emotional trauma that's stored in there. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we'll definitely, we'll link those uh, links from the VA to the bottom of uh, the episode. If you're listening, you'll get those. And if you're if you're watching, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the We Got Your Six podcast, where we are on a mission to end veteran suicide. If you are struggling with thoughts of hopelessness or suicide, please reach out to family, friends, a classmate, or call or text the number 988 for immediate help. We are here for you, and we want you to be here with us tomorrow. If you have a story to share on this podcast, please email us at admin at 99legacyfund.org. The We Got Your Six podcast is a production of the West Point Class of 1999 and the 99 Legacy Fund. The podcast is hosted by Philip Nathram and produced by Brennan Wallace, with technical production by Scott Bronikowski. If you would like to make a tax-deductible donation towards the 99 Legacy Fund's mission to support the survivors of our fallen, please visit www. 99legacyfund.org to donate with duty in mind.